and welcome to another episode of the Daily Red Podcast. I am your host, Bianca Wiley, arts enthusiast, performer and media creative. You will hear stories about the projects gracing the Queensland art scene and the artists behind the scenes journeys. Sit back, relax and let's get into it. Today I am joined by Brisbane actor and creative Oliver Hetherington Page, who is the star, scriptwriter, and producer of his one-man autobiographical musical comedy show, The No Bang Theory, that focuses on an accurate representation of an artist and person living with autism. Welcome Oliver, it's so great to have you. And please note that this episode will be split into two parts, and this part will focus on the need for more opportunity for people with a disability within the art sector and also being seen as an artist and not identified by your disability. Thank you for having me, Bianca. It's a delight. Now, the show sees you through many years of your life. How did you start putting together all of these memories and thoughts when you decided to write your own show? Look, I think the interesting thing about it is I've always known that I wanted to find a way of Pairing my lived experience of living with autism and my passion for theatre making and music theatre in particular. And I always kind of knew it was going to be there. Like, it was something that at some point in my life I was going to do. And then when I finished uni at the end of 2019, I kind of had a, okay, now I have to put on my big boy pants and get a haircut, you know, do the, the thing. And then there was a global pandemic, which kind of made me pause. I think it made everybody pause and go, why am I doing this? What do I want out of this career? And it kind of just made sense as kind of a debut work to explain why I'm doing this. And as a kind of nutshell for what I want out of this career, which is to tell stories that accurately represent autism and create opportunities and access for myself as an autistic artist and for other autistic artists that come after me, it just kind of made sense in a social level to really unpack what has happened to me so far for both good and bad and go, okay, we've got to the starting line. Let's do this. Let's look back and kind of really unpack that. And so the No Bang Theory kind of came out of during lockdown, I was doing many long walks to, and you know, stay sane. <laughs> and I, it was just a conversation of, why am I doing this? Um, you know, let's do the thing that I always said, I'll do at some point, and kept pushing it down the road. I went, no, now is the time to do it. And then it kind of just built from there. It was a title, and then I got some funding support a mentorship grant which allowed me to work with Alex Woodward and he helped build the first 15 or so minutes of the show and then that allowed me to get some Arts Queensland money which then allowed me to produce the rest of the show and then that was September 2021 and so for since then I've been touring it around the place and taking it to different venues and as of this morning, I received a Matilda Award nomination for the show for Best Emerging Artist. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes. And also, it's really empowering for you to be able to share your story and 
put together all of those thoughts, especially during COVID when so many people, you know, were suffering because like you said, they're stuck indoors. So being able to do something creative must have been quite mentally stimulating. It was mentally stimulating. We were lucky, in, particularly in Brisbane, that there were many stages to COVID. And it came towards the end of kind of stage one. And then there was stage there was a gap when we're like, oh, we're past this thing. And it was in that stage where the first development happened and then we went lockdown again and then it opened up again. And so it was between lockdowns. And so it was a really good kind of, well, a lot of people had to keep stopping and starting. I had a consistency of just get through to the next step, just get through to the next step. Just, it gave me a force to keep going through the constant open, shut, open, shut, open, shut of the lockdown period it get which is kind of why I started in the first place was I was floundering going why am I doing this there's a lockdown <laughs> um, but to then kind of give the consistency and the discipline of going okay this show needs these things I need to do this I need to do that okay I have to wait for the grants due on this date we have to wait until then to get the funding and if it works out, then we can do this. But if it doesn't, it may... there's a discipline and a rigor to that that I uh, needed during the inconsistency of the ups and downs of the lockdown. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so many artists, you know, did suffer through that lockdown. There was no way for them to perform. But being able to produce your own work, you know, that, that gives you a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, as the show states quite clearly in its title being the No Bang Theory, you do place some attention on the Big Bang Theory. So what was it about the Big Bang Theory that, you know, angered you the most and made you think, I need to show how autism should be correctly presented? Look, uh, I talk about this in the show, so I'll try to not just quote my own show because <laughs> that's a bit egotistical. Um I discovered the show when my cousin's like, Oliver, you should watch this. There's a person like you in it. And so I was like, oh, okay, okay. I don't really like your taste, but... <laughs> my cousin knows this. It's fine. I'm not talking out of town. But, um... So I watched the show and I'm like, oh, yeah, no. I, I see myself. It, it feels like me. And then I watched it some more and I watched it some more and I kind of realised the things that I see myself in are the things that people are laughing at which I don't like people laughing at things that are just everyday me. Of course. And then I did reading on it, and the creators refused to name that Sheldon was autistic. They said, we don't diagnose our characters. Sheldon wouldn't know. It doesn't matter to us. And then they also didn't cast a actually autistic actor, mm. which I understand that in 2007 when this show was being cast and made they didn't have the same language and understanding of autism that we do today. And I don't hold it against Jim Parson, the actor who plays the role, for taking the part. Because, you know, I'm an actor, I get it. When you get offered a role, you don't kind of second-guess political... You just go, okay, how much are you paying me? On a practical level, that is the conversation. It's your job. It's your job. Um... But then it's things like when they made the Young Sheldon spin-off in 2016, they again had the opportunity to cast an actually autistic actor. Mm. And again, they went, 
no, we're just going to cast the bigger name who was in Big Little Lies and has worked with Nicole Kidman. And I'm like, again, he's a good actor that I don't necessarily blame. I blame the people, the writers, the producers, and those kind of things that know better and should know better. If you're making a show about Sheldon Cooper and you are using autistic characteristics, you have to on some level know. Because... And they're like, oh, we'll ruin the joke. No, it won't. Because humour comes from honesty and specificity. The funniest things, like Fleabag, which I think is an absolutely hilarious show, is funny because Phoebe Waller-Bridge, when creating that, is hyper-specific to that character and that experience of that character. And if you're not 100% specific, humour just feels general. And that's... The thing about the Big Bang Theory, it's a general look on a very kind of nebulous level. Well, it could be a very specific look at looking at what autism is like and how those interactions work on a level. And I just, I really found it frustrating that it just irritated me. And then there's the other, sorry, I know I'm, Rambling. No, I think this is really fascinating because it's actually empowering to be able to hear an artist who has autism critique something and show what can be done better in the industry. I think the other part of it is the Big Bang Theory got so synonymous with autism representation and proud of itself for doing that that he became almost a poster child for it. Mm. And so then when my experience doesn't line up with that of Sheldon Cooper, it minimises that because it's like, oh, you're not like Sheldon. You do these things. You're into mm. drama. You're, you're not... You, authentic. It's not authentic. You can't be autistic because you don't like trains. You're not into the sciences. <laughs> and I'm like, no. It's very stereotyped. It's a very stereotyped... Look, I can give you a three-dimensional thing and look stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason and i get that there are a lot of autistic people that like trains i (laughs) understand that doesn't mean that you have to like trains i don't like public transport i'm not gonna take it i would rather walk but i understand that that is a stereotype for a reason and we can accept that But if you're only using a series of stereotypes, which I think the Big Bang Theory does, it looks up most common autistics, I don't know this. It hasn't done its proper research then. It hasn't done its proper research and has a very base level understanding. And so then that reinforces the stereotypes. And look, I fall into a lot of autistic stereotypes, don't get me wrong. But I also understand that there's a three-dimensionality to that. And I think more and more as the industry moves forward, it's about bringing those people into the room to have that conversation. Because I think of The Big Bang Theory, right? I don't think it is an inherently bad show. I think as a comedy series, it does its job. It makes people laugh. Mm. I can't be mad at it, but I can also go, no, wait a second. Let's invite autistic people into the room to make it more effective at what it is trying to do, which is make people laugh. And the more authentic and honest you are, and you've seen my show, and I think I'm authentic and honest, it is funnier because of that 
because I think the more honest and specific you are, the better the product is. And even people that don't necessarily have that experience can see themselves in the specificity. And that is true for all forms of representation. I can see... Uh, this is a random example, but um, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a movie about an Asian family with multi-generational conflict going on. And then there's multiverses and it gets a bit weird. I love that movie. But the specificity of being an Asian immigrant family is not my experience. But they talk about, should we have come to this country? My father came from England. When he met my mother, they fell in love, and then he came over here. Um, I saw that in it because it was so specific to the story of people coming to a country to be together and finding a family. You know, that was part of this narrative. I understood that. I didn't have the specifics of... I'm white, I am male, and the main child is female, and I'm straight, the main child is queer. Like, there are fundamental differences, and I could list them out. Yeah. But a core of my parents came to this, this country, America, Australia, you know, but came to a country to be together and be in love. It's the themes and ideas. It's themes and ideas, but because it is so specific and so authentic, I was able to see myself. And relate, yeah. And relate to it. But if you're just doing a kind of stereotype of person comes to country, child, oh, mom, you don't understand because you... Like, that is such a basic understanding of it. Yeah. It, it's not going to feel authentic. And that's how I think straight, white, neurotypical people... It's like, for so long, straight, white male neurotypical people always saw themselves on screen and other people had to adapt to seeing themselves in the paradigm of the straight, white, cisgendered, neurotypical male power base. We have been able to see us, but now we're getting more representation. That audience is not doing the work to come and see the other side. Mm. And look, I understand that I have an inherent privilege as a straight white man. But I think doing this show and making the No Bang Theory has given me the opportunity to really look into what my privilege gives me and also how lack of understanding we still have to go. Because I think we understand that racism is a thing. We understand that sexism is a thing. We understand that homophobia, all the isms and the ists that exist are pretty much a thing. I don't think we have fully grappled with the extent to which ableism plays a role in everyday life. And doing this show really kind of showcased that for me. And things that have happened, like I went to a bar the other night and I have a big voice, I'm loud, I'm, <laughs> and I move very erratically even when sober. I'm not... I'm just picturing it, yes. <laughs> so... I came across entering a bus stone cold sober, intoxicated. And I was called aside by the security guard. What's your name? How much have you had to drink tonight? And I kind of went, no, wait a second. You just don't understand the way that a neurodiverse person exists in the world. And I'm making a blanket assumption in a way that you just don't understand it. And look, I wasn't kicked out of the bar. It was fine. 
But that has happened a couple of times. I've actually done a news article on that before. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. It's uh, It needs more awareness and knowledge. It needs more awareness and knowledge about how we behave in a social setting. And I think it's starting to happen, but it's not happening quickly. And I think for a long time, and I, I get it, there was a, a privilege to disability, and I still think there is, that we talk... We're the invisible minority that I, I see it all the time in grant applications, less so now, but certainly about two to three years ago, there was this big push for diversity in applications. They, the industry had been called out through Black Lives Matter and um, the Me Too and all these kind of things that the industry needed to be more diverse and get better at accepting difference in the overall arts industry. But I applied and it said, there was a question, do you identify with the following minority groups? You even get those now for job applications. Yes, and I don't necessarily think that is bad. I think that is good. Because I do think you need to be more open to different perspectives. I saw a grant application, job application thing, listed all these groups, not there, was disability. Really? Just not there. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Your diverse applicants may apply and then, or encouraged to apply. Yeah, of course. But then you don't include disability there. Why bother? <laughs> like, dis. And there was a study done by the Media Representation Alliance or something about broadcast television and how diverse it is in Australia right now. And it included things like gender, sexuality, all the typical talking points. So let I read the report and went, okay, how's the disability rate? Was not covered in the report. And when asked why is it not covered in the report, the person saying is we're looking at um, minorities that we can see on screen and you can't always see disability. And you kind of go... What the hell? And look, I know I'm getting on a bit of a soapbox here talking about, but I think what I was trying to do with the no bang theory is start a conversation. And it's why I'm just very happy to come in today and talk about it. Because look, I can talk about the show and puff up my show and, um, you know, say that I'm doing it on March 2nd at the Redlands Performing Arts Centre. And I'm, I will do those things, March 2nd, Redland Performing Arts Centre. <laughs> but I think it's more important to have a broader conversation about what is happening for disabled artists in the industry right now. And I was really impressed by you that you had um, Emma... Tomlinson. She's one of my best friends, yes. Yes. On... Last year, and she, I, I listened to that episode, and it was a really interesting conversation because you talked about her music and you talked about what she was doing, but you also then had a kind of interesting conversation about the way autism and disability plays into that art making. Because I think my autism is intrinsically linked to every piece of art that I do. And that doesn't mean that all my art is autistic and it's always going to be about autism. No. But it is intrinsically linked to how I perceive the world. 
And I think about this in a very broad sense. I let's say I'm playing Hamlet. Okay. Shakespeare's Hamlet is a character that doesn't understand his emotions and is constantly second guessing every decision that he makes because he. He's trying to figure out what to do and he's second guessing and then he gets in his head and he gets depressed and he gets agitated. And I know that experience because I'm I'm not saying Hamlet is autistic. He's certainly not written as such. But I, as an autistic man playing Hamlet, am going to bring that to it. Like humanise it. I'm going to humanise that angle to it. And when you're playing Hamlet... That is what you have to do. You can't go, oh my god, I'm playing Hamlet. Yeah. You have to go, no, wait, let's Mm. lift... How do I see myself in this role? That my autism is inescapable from that. It is just ever-present because my autism is part of who I am. Of course. And it's why when we get into debates about autistic language and stuff about those things we actually need to talk to people and engage with it and i think in the creations of back to things like the big bang theory they were not consulting with communities so we're making mass generalizations and not bringing that authenticity which is what i think the no bang theory does Mm. and i think these are the conversations we should be having more of and not kind of look Marketing theatre media is important and I think it serves a purpose. But let's actually have a conversation about the art that we're making and why we are making it and how we are making it. Well, it drives your art. It drives art and furthers the conversation. So then if your listeners come and see the show, they may have listened to this podcast and have a better, bigger understanding of where I am coming from. So then when they see my show at Redlands Performing Arts Centre on March 2nd, they have... They're coming in with a head start and an understanding. And so I don't think it's removing the marketing from it. It's about... that It's all connected and art is... It's called show business. So you do have to put a business hat on. Yes. But I think if you're doing it for a love and a passion that is not... I want to be famous. I want to be make money. I, I'm in this business to create opportunity for autistic artists and to, for both myself and other autistic artists. That means that I'm not going to get every show. I'm not going to get every opportunity. And there are other autistic artists out there that deserve opportunities and should be able to succeed and create. And I think a rising tide raises all ships. So my success creates an opportunity for somebody else. And that in turn will create an opportunity for someone else or for me. And it just... It's a puzzle and it's a beautiful rising tide raises all ships. I wanted to touch on a few things, though, that you brought up, which I found fascinating. The one was if they advertise diversity and then they say, but we just don't see disability in the art space. Take the highest grossing movie of all time, Mm. Avatar, played by Sam Worthington. Yeah. His character is in a wheelchair. Yes, he is. Look... I haven't seen Avatar since 2009. My memory of it is, I admit, spotty. As is mine. (laughs) Um, Look, I get where James Cameron was coming from. Look, 
I saw it once in 2009. I think it is spectacularly amazing. I can't necessarily talk about that movie in particular. But I think a movie that I can talk about in this realm of disability is um, The Theory of Everything, starring Eddie Redmayne. Oh, yes. Look. Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking. I am not physically disabled. I know a number of physically disabled people, and we've had this conversation about that movie, is that we get it. We get that probably if Eddie Redmayne had said no to that role, it would have gone to Benedict Cumberbatch. Or if Benedict had said no... big name. It would have gone to a name because that is the reality of the industry that, you know, Mm. you need a name to sell a product. The problem is, when you do that, you're not creating opportunities for disabled artists to become the names in order... So next time, when you're doing the remake of The Theory of Everything, there might be a disabled actor who can play Stephen Hawking. But there's not going to be if you don't put the infrastructure in place Mm. to build the societal connections and it's why I get so angry at that report because what does queerness look like what does aboriginality look like what does any of these things look like you can't always see indigenousness because of skin pigmentation and a whole bunch of other things but there are white passing indigenous people there just are But they're not saying, oh, we didn't count them because they didn't look Indigenous. They counted them in this report. But then you go, you don't see disability. And I'm very happy that earlier this week, um, as part of the overhaul of the arts funding, there will be a new disability arts body. That is one of the things Tony Burke, the new arts minister, has promised in his amazing overhaul of the arts and there are there is movement happening chloe hayden is doing amazing things on heartbreak high and really kind of starting a conversation about autism representation and i think it's happening and it's happening slowly and i'm lucky that i'm part of a, a wave of a generation and if we had far more time than we probably have i could go on and on about the politics of autism and how that has shifted over time. That's part two. That, that's part, and I will happily talk about it because I can go on about this. This is a topic that I'm passionate about, and this is part of your life's work. Yeah, um, I think to kind of sum up a conversation that is windy and all over the place, and I, I, I just think it's an interesting conversation to really have about what is happening right now and yeah it's interesting and we're in a good place but we also have a lot of work to do you have just come to the end of part one of this conversation with oliver tune in next week to listen to part two where we go into greater detail about oliver's show the no bank theory i look forward to joining you again next week bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Red Podcast. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok for more, and we'll be with you again soon. Bye!